on, how y'all doing today? It's October 31st, it's Halloween. We are so thankful to be together on church today. It's also our Color Blast Sunday for our, our Kid Point. All these folks wearing orange, and so we're just really excited for that. That's why you've seen a bunch of orange on our campus today. Welcome to Life Point Church. My name is Mike Burnett. I get to serve here as lead pastor, and it's such an honor to serve all of you, and thank you for the privilege of getting to do this. And I want to say what's up to everybody who's joining us digitally, whether through our online campus, on-demand folks, as well as those who are at our East Valley Dream Center in Phoenix, Arizona, and our Austin Peay State University campus. Man, we just love being one church in many places. In fact, we have many ways of being in, in different places, and uh, one of the things that we are embracing, again, is uh, more use of video preaching. And I know that we've had some people ask questions about that. Why are we doing that? Or which service? I get texted or called uh, on many Saturdays, like, which service is, are, is video? Well, it's the one that you just asked about, so that's when it is. Uh, listen, I, I love preaching, um, but I'm in my 40s now, and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm mature, finally. <laughs> but anyway, um, preaching four times in a row, I mean, you guys, most of you only hear it once, maybe twice if you're serving on a team, but preaching four times in a row is really, really hard, and for any guest speaker or any of our preaching team, it's a lot, and so... Uh, anytime we bring in a guest, we give them the option of a video service. But the other reason is we want to continue seeing uh, more opportunities and growth through uh, expansions and new campuses and new venues and build, you know, buildings that we'll build or maybe churches that we would even acquire and uh, help relaunch. And so we're going to be able to utilize video more and more. So I appreciate your grace for that. And just remember this, the last live communicator that most people listen to is their preacher. Every other communicator you watch is on screen. Most of you watch them on three-inch screens in your hand. So uh, at least you get a full-size video when you come to LifePoint Rossview campus, right? Come on, somebody. But honestly, it's about longevity, and it's about being able to continue to see God grow his church. And uh, we've got some great young preachers on our team and great growing preachers on our team, and uh, we're thankful for that as well. But we are embracing video, so uh, today you may be watching this on video, and I just thank you for your flexibility with that as well. Hey, we're, you are a generous church, and I just want to celebrate that again and thank you for it. And some of us need to take a step in this area of generosity, and, and really the step is, is a step of obedience, right? So the scripture is really clear to us about being generous. It's, it's part of the heart of God. It's part of how we reflect the heart of God. And we just believe what the scripture talks about in this area of tithing and then giving offerings. Well, your giving helps us not only manage the day-to-day -day operating of your church, but also it allows us to be a blessing to our city, our town, our community, and, and, and also to the country as we're helping plant churches through your giving and generosity. And we're actually working with missionary partners and church planners around the world. And your giving goes beyond just LifePoint Church. We, we're a tithing church as well. We give 10% of the income of this church away. In fact, last year we were able to do even more than 10% uh, that we gave to missions and church planting, et cetera. So I just want to thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity there. But some of us need to take the step and become obedient in this area of giving. In fact, uh, in 1 Samuel 15, there's this it's an obscure text, you know, it was God speaking through the prophet Samuel to the, the, the children of Israel, but it's, a, it's the heart of God. He, he makes this statement, he said, it's better to obey God than to sacrifice. Then the, the short version says it's, obedience is better than sacrifice, but what he means is it's better to obey God than to have to make a sacrifice on behalf of your disobedience to God. See, in the old covenant, whenever you sinned or disobeyed God, you had to make a sacrifice to the Lord at the temple, sacrifice an animal or whatever the case, for the remission or forgiveness of sin. God's attitude, it's better to just obey in the first place than have to make a sacrifice for your disobedience. How many of you think that's a good rule? And so in, in every area of your life, actually, let me, let me just challenge you, in, in every area of your life, it is better to obey God. That may seem like a novel concept for some of us, but I'm just telling you, it's the truth. It is always better to obey God than have to pay for your disobedience. That'd be good for your parenting, by the way. You should tell that to your kids. It's better to obey than be grounded for a month. Come on, somebody. All right. Well, hey, uh, we're going to jump back into our um, Book of Acts series. I'm so thankful for Pastor Jordan Smalley, who brought the word last Sunday. Can we just thank him? Come on, together as a church, every location. We just thank you, Pastor Jordan Smalley. What a powerful word. What a great preacher he is. And uh, we're going to continue in Acts chapter 8. Now, we've been in this series since Easter. It's a long series. We're going to be in it for a couple years, actually. But we're in Acts chapter 8. And if you remember, the book of Acts is an historical narrative. What that means is it's not a letter to the church about how to be Christians. It's a story written about the church becoming Christians. And so this is the beginning of the, the church forever. Jesus chose to launch the church in one of the 
most corrupt societies, one of the most difficult times in human history. Jesus entered into that, does his ministry, and then raises up the church. And so the book of Acts is the telling of how they dealt with persecution, how they committed to preaching, how they suffered, how they saw great revivals, how they prayed. I mean, we see all of these devotions of New Testament new Christians. And so we're reading through the book of Acts and we're learning in our own lives how to, to, to come back to center on a lot of the things uh, that the early church did as well. So I've titled the message, When the Power of God Changes Our Lives. How many of you thankful God still changes people? Come on, amen. Where's my amen crowd at today now? Y'all can't be sitting there silent just looking at me, all right? Come on. How many of you glad God changes lives? Amen? I don't know about you, but I am thankful to the Lord that he changed me. In fact, uh, October 31st is my favorite day of the year. It's the, it's the day that I gave my life to Jesus. 24 years ago, I became a Christian on Halloween. I call it the Lord's Day. Somebody praise God for that. Amen. Man, you know, back in the day, we used to do uh, our biggest event of the year, bigger than Easter, we had was our Halloween block party. And I just remember, some of y'all remember the Halloween block party days? Come on now. That was uh, fire hazards and like safety issues and all kinds of, but we didn't know any better. And I was a dummy. But it was our biggest party of the year. And I remember getting all this heat from church people, Christians, like, you can't name it a Halloween party. It's pagan. It's the devil's day. Like the devil got a calendar meeting and he was like, just give me that one day. Come on, God, give me October 31st. <laughs> you know, the devil doesn't have, the devil doesn't have a day. And then I would say, well, I got saved on Halloween. So you go to a church with a pastor who got saved on the devil's day. So take that and decorate your trunk. Come on, let's go. <laughs> we're going to talk. It's an interesting text for today because we're on Halloween and we're going to talk about this witch doctor, this sorcerer, this magician in scripture who comes to faith in Jesus. Man, I'm, I'm going to tell you though, uh, I'm thankful that God changes lives and he changes the worst people to become the greatest followers of Jesus ever. We live in a very confused world. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we live in a really messed up time in human history. And uh, I believe the, as crazy and chaotic as parts of our world are, I still believe that the local church mobilized and preaching the gospel is still the hope of the world. Can I hear a big amen? Our world is confusing in so many categories, though. And that's, it, it's honestly been the case for centuries, you know, that there's been confusion and pain and chaos and sin in our world. But I just feel like, I, I was sharing this the other night at our dream team party, I feel like never before in my life have so many categories of crazy been going on and ex, like just heightened all at the same time. I feel like in 2021, 2020 and 2021, we have seen the full expression of the human experience on full display and, and not always the good parts of it. Can I hear an amen? You know what I'm talking about. Are y'all tracking with me so far? Okay. Um, we're seeing chaos in politics, in economy, in people generally don't have a positive outlook for the future anymore, high anxiety and depression. We're divided as people over matters of race, gender, healthcare, war, values, family, even faith. And the church is taking hits constantly. But here's the good news. The local church mobilized and preaching the gospel, I believe, is still the hope of the world. And here's, here's an interesting way to frame the world that we live in today. And I want to help you with this. All of those systems or those categories of chaos in our world, call it politics or, you know, the medical debates or the, the divisions over all these different things or the, the new expressions of all things that are kind of chaotic, all of those systems or categories that seem troubling are made up of people. And God isn't trying to overcome and conquer systems and categories and politics and, and nations. God's trying to change people. And how many of you know, if God can change the hearts of people, then changed people can change the world? Listen, I've said it like this for years. Jesus didn't die to save Babylon. He died to save Babylonians. Jesus didn't die to save America. He, he gave his life to save Americans. And here's what we got to remember is that the power of God still changes the lives of people. And when God changes people, people change systems. Are y'all tracking me with Here's what's happening right now in the church world. Like we're living in this. We're going like, I'm against that group. I'm against that thought process. I'm against that category. We'll stop. You know, you may be against the philosophy, but don't be against the people that embrace that philosophy. We got to love people. We got to share the gospel with people. You know how you change systems? It's change the people in the systems. And the power of God is still at work changing people. So I want to encourage you, don't lose hope. Don't lose sight of the fact that God can change the people that are in the group that you think are destroying our country and destroying our world. And we're going to look at a passage today 
that shows the power of God bringing transformation to someone who honestly was one of the most wicked people we've seen in the Bible yet. I actually love this story. I love that it landed on Halloween. We didn't even plan for this, but that this story lands on Halloween Sunday. It's when God saves a pagan sorcerer witch doctor. Let's read through it together. We're in Acts chapter 8, and I, I start by reminding us that every one of us has a backstory. How many of you know you got a past? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna just amen myself today. How many of you know we all have a past, right? Aren't you grateful God is looking to your future and he doesn't keep reminding you of your past? How many of you know God's not on like constant repeat of your old life? I know some of his people are on repeat of your old life, but you gotta just focus on the Lord, not what his people say sometimes. Can I hear an amen? We don't always get it right. Praise God, he's working on us too. But we all have a backstory. And this man appears in the gospel, in the story of Acts, with a horrific backstory. Remember the context. Stephen, the first martyr, saw this man, this young like apprentice to the, to the Sanhedrin. He's been commissioned to persecute, imprison, even kill Christians. And it says that the Christians have been scattered. And in their scattering, they didn't go scatter into hidey holes and freak out. They scattered into new towns to preach the gospel. Oh, you're going to make us leave Jerusalem? No problem. I needed a passport to go somewhere else anyway. I needed to go preach. So they're preaching the gospel in their dispersion. And then we come to Acts chapter 8, verse 9, and it says this. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city, and he amazed all the people of Samaria. Remember, Samaria is the other side of the tracks kind of people. Remember when Jesus said in Acts 1, he says, you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And all of the, these Jerusalem Christians are going, oh, we got to go to Samaria too. Because they had an attitude towards Samaritans. But here's Simon. He had practiced magic in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria, saying he himself was somebody great. Man, don't all magicians call themselves the great. You know, I'm Mike the Great, you know. Okay, let me just give you the context here. Uh, we just saw previously, Saul is persecuting Christians, killed Stephen, the Christians are scattered, they're preaching like crazy. And Pastor Jordan showed us that just because times are difficult doesn't mean we stop telling people about Jesus. By the way, it is not the preacher's job only to tell others about Jesus. It's your job, Christians. Come on, somebody. If you're a Christian, the Great Commission is yours. Well, Philip is this new preacher on the scene. Last time a new character showed up, he got martyred. That was Stephen. So now Philip is the new guy. And Philip is the new preacher on the scene, and he's being used, we see last week, in signs and wonders and miracles, specifically healings and, and deliverance from people with demons. And he's also doing this ministry in Samaria. Now, I want you to think of the other side of the tracks people in your life. Maybe it's a people group, maybe it's a certain community, or maybe it's physically a part of the country or the world that you just don't care about. Now, Philip is preaching the gospel in signs and wonders in Samaria, the place of outsiders. How many of you thankful God still loves outsiders? But Philip is preaching there, he's being used in miracles, and people are getting healed, saved, and delivered from demons. Now, in that area of Samaria is this guy named Simon. Simon is not like some birthday party magician, you know, like, watch the coin, you know, he's not that kind of magician. He is a sorcerer. He is used in the dark arts. He is used with dark magic. This, listen, legitimately, demonically inspired stuff. This is the same kind of demonic counterfeit that the sorcerers used, if you remember in the book of Exodus, when Moses comes to Pharaoh, let God's people go, and he does a miracle, and it says the sorcerers would just, by demon inspiration, they would counterfeit the miracle. How many of you know the devil is still active? He's still working. He's still a counterfeit. And some of us read a text like this, and we go, well, that's ancient. Those kind of things don't happen anymore. I'm here to tell you, we still have this sort of darkness alive and well in our world today. In fact, on Halloween, this is the day that... that Wiccans and witches of the modern day still celebrate as their high holy day. I was in Minneapolis last weekend preaching for a church, and then I taught at a university there for three days, and so I was out of town. But in Minneapolis, Minnesota, it's one of the largest communities of Wiccans and witches in the country. Over 20,000 people claim to be Wiccans and witches in Minneapolis, Minnesota today. They have like religious gatherings, they have homeschool co-ops, they have like nonprofit organizations. 
If you think witchcraft and earth worship and spiritual incantation and Satanism doesn't exist today, you're absolutely wrong. It still does. This kind of stuff still happens in our world today. Worshiping evil spirits, incanting the devil, practicing pagan, wicked practices, earth worship, Satanism. This stuff still exists today just like it did there. Simon was one of these types of sorcerers. Again, he's not just a, a follow-the-coin party trick magician. He is evil. He desires to be used by the devil, and he's in the crowd hearing the gospel. How amazing is our God that he doesn't disqualify anyone from getting to hear his glorious gospel. No matter how bad your backstory is, he wants you to hear this good news. No matter what you've done or are doing, God wants you to hear this good news. Uh, I've never pulled the room here, but any witches in the room, you know, like, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. So Simon the Great, look at this, what it says about him. He's in the area of Samaria, the outsider. He's, the, he's an outsider and he's a devil worshiper. Basically, he's a demoniac. He's a, he's a Satanist and he's using dark arts. And in verse 10, it says, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest of the Samaritans. Everybody paid attention to Simon. And they, this is what they said about him. This man is the power of God. That's what they said about this guy, Simon, for years. I mean, he is such a prominent figure in Samaria. They said he is the power of God. Have y'all ever read this before? I mean, this is an amazing story, actually. Many of us have read this story kind of quickly, and we're like, get to the testimony part. Get to the salvation. But listen to this. The Samaritans, now the Samaritans were Samaritan Jews. They believed in God. They believed in Abraham. They believed in the story of the old covenant. But they were outsiders. They were seen as like stepdaughter, stepson Jews. So they had like all kinds of syncretized religious practices. And so they have this amazing leader in their culture named Simon, who they all, from the least to the greatest, said, this man is the power of God. Not has the power of God, but he is the power of God. That is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. For a long time. So Simon is a very influential, long-standing sorcerer. It was dark and evil, he was committed to evil tricks using sorcery power. It built his own platform. He called himself great. They called himself great. People were so amazed and duped by him. And we still have that kind of darkness in this world. But it may not be sorcery. It may be all kinds of other things. Maybe you're an adulterer, an abuser, a liar, an alcoholic, a drunk, an addict. But I'm so grateful that guys like this show up on the scene when the gospel is being preached. So watch this. Verse 12. Imagine this guy in the audience when Philip the evangelist shows up. We don't know the size of the crowd, but we know that he's there. So when they, the Samaritans, listen, they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and about the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what Philip's preaching. That God in his mercy sent his son Jesus to die for your sin and raise from the dead so that you have victory over sin in this death and death in this world and that you can have everlasting life in the kingdom of God. And Philip is preaching this good news. It says, when they believed Philip as he preached the kingdom of God and preached the name of Jesus, by the way, in the culture that's crazy today, we need to be more and more talking about the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus. Can I hear him? Amen. They believed Philip and they were baptized. Both men and, so the Samaritans, men and women, are getting saved and they're getting baptized. And then it says this, even this Simon himself believed the gospel. The great Simon, used in the dark arts, heard the gospel, believed it. Man, don't ever discount what God can do in the worst person's life that you know. Don't ever think, well, that person's too far gone. They'll never come to Christ. They'll never come to faith. Don't ever, ever, ever cast someone away. Listen, notice Philip didn't preach to the whole witches and warlock coven, but he preached to one. Remember I said earlier, I was like, you might be frustrated with cultures and systems and groups, but those groups are made up of people, and we need to preach faithfully the gospel to people, right? So Simon hears the gospel, he believed, and then he got baptized. This guy went from Simon the Great, who everyone feared and said was the power of God, to a submitted follower of Jesus. He gets, he's a believer. He goes public with his faith. He gets baptized in water. Watch this. And then he continued with Philip. That means he became a student under Philip. He became a disciple, a follower of Philip as he continues his evangelistic ministry. 
and seeing signs and great miracles. You got to remember, Simon's the miracle guy, like he's the sorcerer. Seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Come on, man. I don't know about you, but this excites me. It's one of the most, it's probably the most significant conversion in the New Testament so far. This guy was literally practicing dark arts, demonic sorcery, and yet he heard the gospel. He believed in Jesus when the gospel was preached. He gave his life to Christ. He got baptized in water. He went all in with Jesus. Can somebody say praise God for that? It was a huge event. It was a huge day. He went from sorcerer to saint, from witchcraft to walking with Jesus. He went from practicing dark arts to walking with the light of the world. Praise God, man. How many of you know it doesn't matter how you've lived your life? It doesn't matter what you've done in this life. You've got a past. I've got a past. We've got a past. You may have been a sorcerer or an adulterer or a pastor's kid. And you can come to God. I'm serious. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. You can come to God and you can give your life to God. And Jesus died for you too. And there's nothing you've done that he cannot and won't forgive. Nothing. Some of you soldiers have struggled for years with some of the things that you've had to do. In combat, I'm telling you, God is a forgiver and God is a healer and God has a better future for you than the past you've had. Your past does not disqualify you from being loved by God, desired by God, wanted by God, and usable by God. Can I hear an amen, somebody? He's an always, he's always a moving forward God. His people may hold your past against you, but God does not. Come on, and can I just say to all of his people, stop holding people's past against them. <laughs> God wants your life. He's not afraid of what you've done. I love this, man. This is the kind of story that gets me fired up. I don't know if you can tell. It's the type of church that I want us to be, where anybody can come, sorcerers can come and meet Jesus and get saved and get baptized. Remember when I've said this for you, anyone's come to have their lives changed by Jesus. We never see Simon again walking in sorcery in the Bible, never. We don't have in chapter 13, and then Simon showed up again working on his latest three-card money trick. Like, he never comes back as a sorcerer. He's changed forever. This is the kind of church I want us to be, where anybody, that we would be so on mission for Jesus that we would see people with the worst past come to know God and find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Listen, as challenging as our world is, as crazy as all the systems of our world are, God still wants to change people. He didn't die to save the Democrat party or the Republican party. Jesus died to save Democrats and Republicans. Jesus died for people, not for systems. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? This gives me hope. Man, it reminds me, 24 years I've been a Christian now today. I think of the life I was headed down and the life I was living and the dreams that I had. It just gives me hope that God says, no, I'll use you. I'll take, I'll take you if you give me your life. I'll take you. I'll use you. I'll do something with your life. And it should give you hope too. No matter what your life has looked like, what you've done, we believe God can change your life. And listen, we also need to believe that God can do that in the lives of others. We've had folks here with addictions, with problems, with abuse history. And man, they, go, they give their lives to Jesus. And he begins to change them. And then they go public. By the way, next Sunday is your public day. It's our baptism Sunday. If you've never been water baptized as a Christian, I want to invite you. The next Sunday is your day to be baptized and go public. We all have a past, but I'm so thankful. Like the old song says, he looks beyond our faults. Remember the old hymn, there's room at the cross for you. <laughs> aren't you thankful? Come on, aren't you thankful? Well, then the story kind of shifts and the Holy Spirit enters into the story. It's kind of an amazing part of the story. I want to encourage you all to study the book of Acts a lot. While we're in the book of Acts, study it. You're going to see a very prevalent activity of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit. So Simon, so far, we're like, yeah, let's shut that story down. Simon got saved. He got baptized. Let's move on to the next story. But wait. It says, now when the apostles, now Peter and John and James, they're the apostles. They, they still live in Jerusalem. They're running kind of the corporate office of this new church, so to speak, right? They're setting doctrine, theology, sending missionaries and evangelists. And they stayed, if you go back in chapter eight, what Pastor Jordan preached last week, it said all the disciples were scattered except the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. 
So Peter and John and James, they're still in Jerusalem. And it says, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria has received the word of God. Remember, that's the other side of the tracks. That's the them people. When the Samaritans had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, the fathers of the faith, right, who had come down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, we got to talk about this for a second. For some reason, Philip is preaching salvation in faith in Christ, which is great. It's a great beginning. It's a great part of the story. The, the, the story of the gospel is God is holy, created us with his image. We lost our image when we fell into sin. We lost our likeness of God. And then God preserves us through the law until Christ. And now Christ has come and he pays the penalty for our sins and he resurrected from the dead. And you can receive Jesus as the payment for your sin and you can be saved to the glory of God forever. Great. And all these people receive the gospel of Jesus and they get baptized as a baptism of repentance. And then Peter and John are like, did you tell them about the Holy Spirit of God that wants to live on the inside of them? And that didn't happen under Philip's ministry. For whatever reason, Philip was not talking to them about God the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. So Peter and John come down from Jerusalem to say, wait, there's more to the story. How many of you are grateful that there's always more with God, right? And so he goes, yes, God will save you. Yes, God will transform you. Yes, God will make your life new through Jesus. But God also wants to live on the inside of you. Peter and John come down because they were immediate disciples of Jesus, and they heard Jesus say this over and over and over again, that the next part of the story after I resurrect from the dead, Jesus would say, I have to go to the Father so that the Spirit of God can come and now dwell in you and dwell among you. For some reason, Philip left that part of the story out. Can I tell you something? I'm afraid a lot of churches today preach a ton about Jesus will save you, Jesus will save you, he'll give you eternal life, but we don't like to talk about God the Holy Spirit coming on the inside of us and dwelling in us and living in us. But that's the next part of the story. We've taught this like false doctrine for years, innocently enough. We've said, we're gonna pray and invite Jesus to come live inside our heart. I'm sorry, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He ain't inside of my heart. Guess who's in our hearts? The Holy Spirit. Go read in John 14. Jesus said, I'll be at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit will come live on the inside of you. So Peter and John are like, oh, we got to talk to them about the Holy Spirit now. This is the life of the Christian. Can I just tell you something, church? Listen, you aren't a Christian without the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. This is part of the Christian life, and it's amazing. I'm already weirding some of you guys out. You're like, I did not know this is the kind of stuff we're talking about on Halloween. This is like... The, the Christian life. Yes, we believe in Jesus, but we live under the power and with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. They had received a baptism into faith, water baptism, repentance from sin. But now it says, so then Peter and John comes down to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, and they laid their hands on them. And I don't know why they chose this as a formula in this particular passage, that they laid hands on them. When the apostles received the Holy Spirit, it just fell on them. Remember in Acts chapter 2? But now these apostles come and they lay hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now notice the two things that happen here. The, the pastors, the leaders, the, the, the Christians ahead that have just been walking with God a little longer, they laid hands on these new Samaritan Christians. But look at this. The Samaritans received. That's their role, to receive the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of us have gotten messed up with our teaching on the Holy Spirit because we think God, the Holy Spirit, is going to possess you. God's not a possessor. God's an empowerer. The devil possesses people. God empowers people. And God wants you to receive himself, the Holy Spirit, living on the inside of you. Listen to me. This is amazing. It's part of the Christian lives that we live our lives under the anointing and under the power of the Holy Spirit. I've said this before. Let me restate it. There's no Christian life without the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. John said this and Jesus said it in John multiple times that the Spirit would be our helper. He'd be our convictor. He would teach us all truth, remind us of the things Jesus taught, and that he would be in us and he would be among us as the church. We're a Trinitarian church. We believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not God the judgy white lightning bolt, God, deity, his little hippie son, Jesus, who's like, yo, you be your best you, and I just accept it, grace, 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 and then the weird Holy Ghost missed in that church across the river. We believe God the Father, God the Son, 
God the Holy Spirit, they're three, but they're distinctly three, and they are one. They're always in concert together. They're always working together. Listen, Jesus said, I only say what I hear the Father saying, and he said, the Spirit only says what I'm saying. They are always working in unison and concert together, and the way that the the Godhead works, God the Father is the one who gives us law and directs the the creation and, and oversees the whole thing with authority, and God the Son present at creation He's the one that that is one with us and our advocate and and, and comes and dies on our behalf. And God, the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to take up residence on these guys. They've been trying it by the law. They've been trying it by their own strength. They've been pulling up their bootstraps for too long. And the power of the Holy Spirit is that God himself who created everything, Genesis 1, and the Spirit hovered over all the creation. God, the Spirit says, I'm going to come now be in my creation. The Christian life is a Spirit-filled life. Now listen, God is not weird, even if his people are. And I want to talk to you about this very candidly today, church. Listen, the Christian life involves the Holy Spirit. Some of us are unsettled or unsure or uncomfortable with God, the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't lay hands on all of you today, but I'm going to pray over you in a few minutes. And my prayer for us at the end of this service is what they received, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray over you that that we would just receive the Holy Spirit, that we not be weirded out by the Holy Spirit, that we not have expectations on the Holy Spirit. Listen, for some reason, these Samaritans had believed in God, the Father. They had accepted Jesus, the Son. They had been baptized. And now they were prayed over to receive the third person of God, the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, I want every one of you to receive the Holy Spirit, to do life with the Holy Spirit, to be empowered of the Holy Spirit, to be gifted by the Holy Spirit, to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you something. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the proof of the Spirit in you, not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've known a lot of gifted people that are mean. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what tells people that you've got God on the inside of you, that you're loving, joy, peace, patient, kind, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the kind of fruit and evidence of the Spirit's work in you. And he will gift you with miracles and faith and prayer and prophecy and spiritual gifts and even new tongues, and he'll give you the ability to interpret that and distinguish and gifts of, of, of leadership and knowledge. These gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the Christian. Amen. I'm going to pray over you today that we would, as a church, receive the Holy Spirit. By the way, I pray that over myself every day. I say, God, I want all of your spirit today. Lord, use me by your Holy Spirit today. Jesus is that, the Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus is not in your heart. He sits at the right hand of the Father praying for you. Remember when Stephen was stoned and Jesus stood up next to the Father? That shows us he is parked. He is kicking it in heaven, building a place for you. John 14 says, I will go prepare a place for you, but I will come back. Jesus isn't in your heart. God, the Spirit is in your heart. Are y'all hearing me today? I just wrecked some of y'all Sunday school theology like real bad. (laughs) I'm just telling you what the Bible says, not what your flannel graph says. Well, well. And Simon, now watch, this is crazy. I've just got on to preaching about the Holy Spirit, but let's get back to the story. (laughs) My team's like, yes, get back to your sermon, shut up. (laughs) They laid hands on them, and they received. They weren't forced. They weren't pushed over. That never happens in the Bible, by the way. They received the Holy Spirit. And then look at this, verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Now, every preacher loves an offering. Come on, somebody, right? Like, you know Peter and John are like, pass the buckets to Simon, you know? (laughs) That's a terrible joke. All right, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Wrong crowd for that one, I guess. When Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying... Give me this power also. Now, depending on the tone of your reading, you would think he's saying, give me this power also. But I think what he's saying is, give me this additional power too. Because you've got to remember who Simon was. He was a sorcerer. He amazed people with these powers that he had that were demonic. Simon was used to using power. And he goes, give me this power too. 
so that when I lay hands, this is how innocently motivated, he wants to lay hands on not to become Simon the Great, but to make their lives better. He goes, give me this power so that anyone I lay my hands on may also receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I got to tell you, that's like the dumbest thing he could have said. But I don't think he knew any better. You know why? Because he's been saved for five verses. He's a baby Christian saying baby Christian stuff. Like some people read this text and we're like, Simon is such an evil man. No, he's undisciplined. He's undiscipled. He's not been taught yet. He literally got baptized. He's still dripping wet. <laughs> Something happened when the apostles laid hands on the people and they received the spirit. We don't know what it was. We, we, there's conjecture. There's debates. There's theological debates. Some believe that they all spoke in tongues. Some people believe miracles happened. Some people think they fell over or got instantly healed. We don't know what happened. We know something happened, 100% that something happened. I tend to think it was miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I think people were just changed, and it was obvious, and I think many of them probably spoke in tongues or began to pray in tongues. That's what happened in Acts 2 and Acts chapter 8. It's going to happen again in Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 19. We'll see it again where they just speak in tongues, and that's part of the, the reality of the new spirit-filled life. But whatever it was, God did something amazing in these people when they were prayed over, and Simon simply wanted the ability to do that too. His motivation was, when I lay hands, they receive the Holy Spirit. But the reason was, he was in his flesh. Man, <laughs> it's interesting how old habits die hard, don't they? Let me tell you something, if you were an angry person before you got saved, two days later, you'll find reasons to be angry again. If you were mean to your kids before you became a Christian, you're probably gonna be mean to your kids on Tuesday. If you were a sorcerer before you found Christ, you're gonna wanna be a sorcerer when you've got Christ now. You know why? Because even though you've been saved from this world, now you need to be delivered from this world. Even though you've been rescued into the kingdom of God, you need to be shaped and discipled and taught how not to live like this world. If you're an alcoholic and a drunk before you got saved, you're going to still struggle with being an alcoholic and a drunk after you got saved. You're going to heaven, but you're still living like the world. You know what that looks like? Immaturity. That's just being undisciplined, undiscipled. Listen, he was fully saved, but still had old habits. He was publicly baptized, but privately still liked his power. He was saved, but he wasn't delivered. His old self was creeping back up. Even when he saw something as beautiful and holy as people's lives being changed, he was like, well, I'm used to power. I'm used to doing these kind of things. Let me have that power too. He was a changed man, but he was an undiscipled man. He was going to heaven, but had a lot of bondage from this life. We can't force God's hand. We can't force God's timing of God's power, God's activity. We also can't manipulate or fake it or own God's power. Only God does what God does. But listen, Simon was a baby Christian. You know, it's interesting to me. Uh, we want to be a church where people can come and give their lives to Christ no matter how you lived. But unfortunately, sometimes, once they get in the church for about a month or so, we start holding them to the expectations of seasoned saints and like pastors. We go, I can't believe you still listen to secular music. Well, I was in a band a week ago. You know, like, <laughs> I can't believe you still talk like that. Well, I've only been saved a month. Man, I remember I used to, man, I could cuss good. I was real good. You know what I'm saying? Like, every part of speech, I could drop a cuss word. You know, I felt like Bernie Mac talking like this all the time. I was good at cussing. In about six or eight months, I'm like still pretty good at it, but I'm trying to like not cuss in front of church people. You know what I'm saying? How <laughs> I many of you know the discipline part takes time? By the way, go back to Philip's testimony. He got saved and baptized and started following Philip. Hey, listen, this is why every one of you needs to be in a small group. Our goal is not to just get you saved. Our goal is to lead you to be devoted followers of Jesus. And, and Sundays, we want to see people give their lives to Christ, but every week, we want to see people growing as disciples and followers of Christ, and the best way that we know how to do that is through small groups. Every Christian, every Christian, let me say it one more time, every Christian should be in fellowship and discipleship in small groups, every Christian. You don't even have to pray about it. You can argue with me all you want, but you're wrong, I promise you, because Jesus modeled it, he taught it, he exhibited that himself. He was in small groups. Every Christian should be in small group. Simon's problem was he just hadn't gotten in a small group yet. 
What's interesting is Simon is like close enough to the ministry leaders that he sees this happen. So unfortunately, Simon got fast-tracked to a dream team without first being in a small group. That's the leader's problem, actually. They put him up too fast. He's close enough to watch Peter and John do this and go, and then go tell them directly, hey, I want to be able to do this too. Bro, you need to be discipled. You need to go through rooted. You need to go to Alpha Course and get your first, like, roots. He was a baby Christian. He needed a small group. Can I hear a big amen from our small groups team and pastor? Now, then Pastor Peter comes along. You got to remember, he's down from Jerusalem. And I'll be honest, Peter, of all people, who said dumb stuff throughout all the ministry of Jesus, he gets a little twisted up here. Watch Peter's response. Peter said to him, and I just imagine the tone. Simon, the sorcerer, is like, hey, let me, I'll give you money to be able to do that if it helps people get the Holy Ghost. Peter goes, may your silver perish with you. <laughs> I mean, this is how I feel like he's, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Well, duh, he hadn't been discipled. <laughs> he goes, repent, therefore, of your wickedness and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven in you. And then Peter's like softening. He goes, for I see in you, you're in the gall of bitterness and you're the bond of iniquity. Dang, Peter, he came strong at this guy. <laughs> you know why Peter was so strong with him? First of all, because he's a Samaritan and Peter struggled with Samaritans. We're going to see that later. But also, Peter wasn't his pastor. Philip was. Philip knew the story of this Samaritan sorcerer. Peter's just a guest speaker. This is why your small group leaders will know things about you that I don't know. And our pastors don't know. This is why you need to be in small group because they will have a grace to walk you through some stuff and to carry you through some stuff, but yet your leaders may not understand what's happening. So look, Peter comes at him hard. He's like, like I don't think it's a good, I think Peter's kind of the, the, the jerk in this whole story, to be honest with you. It's not a good example of how to respond to a brand new Christian who said something dumb. Peter, of all people, should know that. His tone was harsh, but listen to me, but what he said was true. Peter didn't have the right tone, but he did have the right word. We are in a world today where tone is everything. And man, we will disqualify the words coming out of somebody's mouth because of the way they said it. Church, you gotta be more mature than that. You gotta be more mature than to let your pastor say something harsh and go, oh, I can't listen to that. I'm just gonna leave and go to another church where they don't hurt my feelings. Listen, Peter had a harsh tone, but he had right words. You need to repent and check your heart and pray. He said, repent and pray and let God change your heart. And Simon answered, then pray for me to the Lord that nothing what you've said will come upon me, that I won't perish, that I won't burn in my iniquity, that my heart will be changed. I, I think Simon is such a model new Christian. He said something dumb, he got corrected, listen, and he took the correction. He goes, okay, I repent. Hey church, we're terrible at this. Christians in America are terrible at this. We are so offendable, we get our feelings hurt, we bounce, we're like, I can't believe my pastor said that, I can't believe they believe this over there, I can't believe they said this, and I'm mocking the first service, not you guys, okay, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and here's what we do, we cancel our church, we cancel our pastor, we go jump in another congregation somewhere instead of staying in the place that maybe God brought a leader. Listen, God brought Peter to lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, and God also brought Peter to correct this baby Christian. Now, how Peter did it was probably a little rough, but what Peter said was true, and I think God worked in Simon's heart to hear Peter through that roughness and go, you're right. I apologize. I'm sorry. Pray, to, pray for me. Hey, by the way, if you're ever the one bringing correction or receiving correction, look at the person correcting you, go and pray for me that what you said will happen. That'll humble the fire out of them right then. Somebody comes at you tough, your boss comes at you, you were late, you're blah, 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 you did all this stuff, and you're like, you're right, ma'am, sir, would you pray for me that I'm able to honor you this week at, at work? <laughs> Your boss won't even know what to do. Huh? You're right, I want to honor you, ma'am. Would you pray for me that I'd be a better follower? In fact, pray to the Lord, Jesus Christ, that what you said will come into my heart. I kind of like Simon. Like, I feel like Simon's one of those guys that I would like and be like, 
Tell me about some of the stuff you used to do. You know, I'm like, like let me hear some of them crazy stories. Man, this one time I levitated a kid, you know, like, what? Simon responded, pray to me, pray for me to the Lord that nothing what you say. I love his response. He didn't get offended. He didn't strike up an argument. He's humbled. He took the warning well. Listen, that's a sign of a person who's really met God. And he submits to his pastor. I'm not trying to make this about, you know, I'm not trying to make this a pro-pastor message, but I kind of, I want you to hear this. Listen, God's given you a pastor and, and a small group leader and the church body for your good. The church wants things for you. Peter wanted this for Simon, that he changed his heart, he'd repent and pray. So I wanna ask you as we close out this message, and I'm gonna pray over this in just a few minutes, but I really wanna ask you, like Simon the sorcerer, has God really changed your life? Has God really changed your life? Like whatever past you brought to God, have you given it to God, has he changed your life? Have you gone public with that and been baptized? If not, we wanna do that next week. Here's the other question I have. Has the Holy Spirit been given room to take up residence in your life? Man, if you've been unclear or unsure about the Holy Spirit, you need to study this out and get over that and invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of your life and receive him. And listen, third, do you have the church? Is the church a part of your life to help you navigate this Christian life? Listen, are you in a small group? Are you faithful to attend church and sit under the preaching of God's word? These are all questions that arise as I'm reading this story in Acts 8. I mean, the centrality of the church body coming and strengthening this young man and speaking prophetically into his life and seeing life change and baptizing him publicly and now directing, discipling and correcting him. This is part of what the life of the church looks like. Are we allowing the power of God through his church to change our lives? Are y'all seeing this today? Does this make sense to everybody? Now, here's what's interesting. And this is where I close. I just think you can't throw away the last verse. Right? Verse 25 feels like this transitional verse. But, but, but here's this great conversion of this sorcerer and then this theological like correction from Pastor Peter, the apostle. But yet, it doesn't slow down the gospel. They take the time to handle the issue and then watch what happens in verse 25. Now, when they had testified, come on, testimony service, Sunday nights with the organ, hey. When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem and they kept preaching the gospel even to many of the villages, villages of the Samaritans. You gotta remember, the Jerusalem Jews and the Judeans hated the Samaritans. But they keep pushing the gospel to these villages of the Samaritans. I want you to think of people that you're against, people you don't agree with, people you don't like, categories of people maybe, cliques or culture groups or communities that you're against. I just want you to rename them villages of Samaritans. And I want you to start thinking, instead of I'm against that group, start praying for those people. I don't agree with that philosophy of that community, start praying for those people. Because it's not a village of, of nobodies, it's villages of Samaritans. And I love that the gospel continued among the outsider, among the, the far reached, among the missing and the lost. And I'm gonna tell you as the church, as the pastor of this church, the ministry of the gospel must keep moving forward. We're gonna keep preaching the word. We're gonna keep inviting people, no matter what your past is, to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference, get in groups, serve on teams, become radically saved and transformed by the power of God and his Holy Spirit. We're gonna be that kind of church. No matter what the story is, we might reach the biggest name in the whole world and we're gonna go after the next name. We might reach the biggest family and the biggest givers and the biggest influencers in the community and we're gonna go after the next family. We might fill up this room and fill up Austin P and fill up more services and we're gonna add more services and we're gonna add more campuses and we're gonna keep expanding and empowering other churches and building more places and giving money to other church planners to say there's more gospel to be preached and there's more villages of Samaritans to be preached to. We can never give up, never retire sharing the good news with people. You may have been praying for someone to give their life and they finally did, pray for the next person. Church, we don't stop working to reach people far from God. We wanna see people saved, baptized, filled with God's spirit. Can I hear an amen and part of the body of Christ telling more people about Jesus? I love this story of Simon the sorcerer, Simon the great, for a lot of reasons. I mean, as a pastor, I learned from Peter how not to talk to new Christians. As a person who had a past who came to faith in Christ, I see myself in Simon's story going, man, I'm so thankful 
that God's been patient with me. I mean, if you ever met a, a baby who starts talking, you ever heard a kid say dumb stuff? You ever heard a baby Christian say something silly? You ever heard the newbie at your company, at your job, say something dumb that you've just known forever because you've been around a long time? You ever heard a pastor who's been saved 24 years with a doctorate say something stupid? <laughs> Give me time, I'll impress you. I just love the power of God and the, the transformation that God brings in his life. But we don't know what happens to Simon after this. He's not really prominent in the scripture anymore, but I have a feeling because of his heart so far to be teachable and correctable, that as influential as he was as a sorcerer, I have a feeling he became even more influential as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we want for this world. As crazy as our world is, every group is full of Samaritans that we must go after and target and pray for and lead to Jesus. Here's, what, here's how I want us to end though. Because central to this whole message is this activity of the Holy Spirit in this passage. And I told you before, I'm gonna pray for our church that we would all receive the Holy Spirit. So I wanna ask you at every location, would you just stand to your feet? Nobody leave the room, just stand to your feet and let me pray over you as your pastor. I can't lay hands on every person. And we've got our prayer team coming up now. They'll be at the front of the room here. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, lay hands on you, whatever. But I just wanna pray over you. And notice in the prayer, they laid hands on them, but the people received the Holy Spirit. God's not gonna like possess you. He wants to empower you. You need to be willing to receive that. And you may not have the Holy Spirit all figured out yet. Welcome to the club. But it doesn't mean you can't receive who God is and all God has for you. So I wanna ask you if you would, everywhere around the room and watching us, joining us digitally, would you just open your hands to the Lord in a posture of reception and, and just with a heart to receive God, the Holy Spirit into your life. Now God may do something crazy like he, the sorcerer Simon saw. He may heal you right now, may give you a gift right now. He may give you a new prayer language right now. Be open to what God has for you. Receive the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, let me pray for you symbolically like I'm laying hands on you and you just receive the Holy Spirit today. And we wanna be on mission to win this world to Jesus. So I wanna pray this first. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of the gospel coming through the book of Acts. But Lord, I thank you that every person hearing the sound of my voice has heard the word today. They've heard the gospel of Jesus, that you died and resurrected for us to have eternal life. And Lord God, we accept it by faith and believe that you are the son of the living God. Everybody pray this with me. Say, God, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sin raised from the dead so that I can live forever for God in Jesus' name. Now pray this with me. I receive God, the Holy Spirit. Come into my life, come into my heart, take over my life. Every day I receive the Holy Spirit. Say this, Spirit of God, fill me today. Baptize me today. Empower me today. Equip me every day to live for you to the glory of God. Say, I receive the Holy Spirit. I receive the Holy Spirit. Come on, say it again. I receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship God. Let's praise him today. Let's honor him today. We receive your spirit, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.